You're listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast, conversations on faith, life, and leadership. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. In today's episode, we begin our new series of conversations, working our way book by book through the Bible. We'll be discussing the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. What are the major themes, the key concepts? Pastor Jim explores the Bible's opening and the significance of God being described as our creator. We really hope this uh, new series is a helpful way for you to reflect on the Bible, for you to spend some more time reading, and maybe to pick up some passages of Scripture you haven't read yet or haven't read in a while. We really enjoyed the conversation. Looking forward to bringing this series to you. Thanks for listening. Pastor Jim, great to sit down together again, and great to be starting a, a new series of conversations. I, we mentioned last week that we were going to be kicking off a new series in which the goal is, as audacious as it may sound, 66 episodes, uh, a conversation on each book of the Bible, uh, starting in Genesis and hopefully ending in Revelation. Uh, maybe take a second to why this has been an interesting idea, what you hope this series of conversations on the podcast will maybe produce for you and I, but also for listeners. Just before we started uh, recording, as we always do, we prayed together, and we we just said, "Lord, help us not to live safe. Help us to step out into uh, some new ground here." So this is a little. Our podcast started way back with going through my leadership book, and then we went through um, a book I wrote on pastoral epistles. But uh, this, uh, I'm anxious for this to be a little more fifty-fifty back and forth between us. I just think God's word's inexhaustible. And so we decided to try something neither of us have done. We're going to take one whole book of the Bible each podcast. So in 20 to 30 minutes, we're going to try to synthesize a core thing. We're praying God will help us focus on uh, kind of thus saith the Lord as well as thus saith the text as we try to synthesize. And so I'm really looking forward to it. It will go 66 weeks because we do have 66 books in the Bible, of course, two-thirds of those in the Old Testament. And uh, I hope everybody who's listening will really stick with us and even pass it on and invite others to to subscribe, join in our podcast, because God, there's nothing like God's Word. I'm, I'm constantly amazed at it. I sometimes quip that years ago, I ran out of things to say. And actually, in preaching everything, I just stay much more close to the Word of God than I think I used to in my young years, just because I kind of ran out of things to say, but God's Word never runs out of things to say, and it always inspires me. And I love the way you're such a deep student of the Word, too, so that's going to add texture and richness to this. Yeah, I didn't start out with much to say, so I just ran out more quickly than you. <laughs> so the scriptures have always been really central for me. I, uh, uh, yeah, I hope this series of conversations, I hope it, it, it really gets at the heart of some of the major themes. I mean, we've been doing this sort of almost word-by-word study through the pastoral epistles. In some way, this is the same thing, but in a kind of reverse. It's, I mean, a whole book and one conversation, but it really forces you to ask, what is God doing in this portion of history, in this writing, yes. in, in this time? And then also that it does have a devotional element to it as well, too, right. that we don't want these just to be academic conversations on, you know, what what time the Exodus might have happened in right. or, you know, when this prophet was speaking to this camp. I mean, we'll get into some of the background, but really we want it to be, what is God at work doing in this this book? 
And what does that mean for me today in the way that I'm leading, pastoring, or just following and serving him? So. Exactly, exactly right. And of course, you and I are both shepherding flocks. We're both doing uh, message prep every week out of wherever we are in Scripture. Um, but I just think, stepping back, um, out of that week-to-week work we do in Scripture and in preaching, I think just stepping back and looking at the whole is... Um, you know, you don't want to miss the forest for the trees either. And we get to look at the forest in this series and 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 hear the heart of the heart of God to us. This is God's revelation to us as people. Yeah, and a reminder that, you know, I've been preaching most Sundays for the last ten years through books of the Bible and you've been doing it longer than that. But you know, there's portions of scripture I've not gotten to in my preaching. You know, when right. was the last time I spent a big chunk of time thinking about Zephaniah, you know, <laughs> so know. just to force ourselves into some of these passages yeah. and to really take away these major themes, putting that whole of scripture, all those pieces together, I think is really important as well exactly as right. us discussing and listeners. So exactly right. But we're starting today Genesis. Uh, that's yeah. an easy place to begin. Uh, one of the goals we'll have is we have these conversations trying to position where this book is. So obviously, being at the beginning, this one's fairly easy. But um, how does Genesis function in the storyline of what God is doing, the storyline of the Bible? What is the place of Genesis in Scripture? Yeah, well, it says we're not here by accident. We're here on purpose. We're, we're, we're the products of God's ingenious creation, us uniquely invested with the um, image of God in us as human beings. And uh, it, it really provides the beginning and how we violated that. Really, the entire Bible builds on Genesis. And, uh, you know, by, um, you know, by a couple of dozen chapters into Genesis, we're with Abraham and God's desire, more than a couple who rebelled against God and and, and a covenant with Noah, God really tries to find a family and then a nation uh, and then ultimately his church. So everything, it's like the cornerstone of a building kind of provides the reference point for all the angles and positioning of the rest of the building. So to me, Genesis is the cornerstone book. Yeah, I do find even as I preach whether it's in the New Testament or Old Testament, how often I find myself alluding or thinking back to some of these foundational stories of Genesis, because they do really set down so many of the themes. Um, I've always been struck that Genesis begins with God. It begins with God creating, God speaking, and that it would be very easy for a story we set down to write about our interaction with God to begin with us, right? To begin with yes. our need, to begin with. But really, the beginning of this story is the fact that God takes initiative, God creates, God begins this storyline and process. And from the very first word of Scripture, it's really more than it is just our story of our problem getting sorted out. It really is God's story of what He's doing in time. Yeah, and don't you think that that that's a life reorienting perspective? Um, I still want my life to start with Him. Uh, not with me. I don't want everything God does to be totally driven by what I need, but I, I want my life to be driven by what he initiates. And uh, in the beginning uh, are three amazing words, and uh, and then the fourth word, God. In the beginning, God. And I, I still want to live that way. Of course, we're in Jesus living a new beginning, a new Genesis. Uh, the second Adam is Jesus. And uh, so, so, you know, we're still living out God's new creation. Paul says we are a new creation in Christ. Genesis 1 describes the original creation. 
And I, I think if you could wrap the whole Bible up into one sentence, it would be the God who created us has acted to rescue us. The God who created us has acted to redeem us. And in that redeeming are new beginnings of all kinds. But but if if God can drive those new beginnings, not just my agenda or my needs, I think that's pretty profound. Yeah, this opening with God does it, and I think you see it in the book of Genesis too, in the stories, it forces all of the other characters, the people that show up, us and them, it forces us into the story that God is already doing, right? The, our perspective right. in the midst of Genesis is what has God created? What is God doing? How is God at work? I mean, you see that really clearly in Adam and Eve, you see it in Cain and Abel, you see it in, in uh, for sure, in Abraham's story, the sort of following, not quite sure where it's leading, but the way in which God draws our attention toward him, uh, him being the first actor, that this story really does begin with us sort of turning toward God to see how it is he will redeem or how it is he will save his people. Yeah. And of course, he's God's on a quest right from the beginning to find a dwelling place. He dwells in the garden with Adam and Eve before they fall. Uh, and this idea that we're creating his image and then God wants to dwell among us is is really amazing. And that's the storyline then that will play out. Um, we encounter covenant in in Genesis for the first time. See it really clearly with Noah. He makes a certain covenant with the rainbow. Uh, and then in exquisite detail with Abraham, where God and Abraham kind of walk out all the elements of an ancient covenant ceremony. The the closest residue of an ancient or, or carry through of an ancient covenant ceremony today would be marriage, which has a wedding ceremony, which would have some of the elements of an ancient covenant. You come together, there's exchange, there's vows, there's benedict there's blessing, there's there's uh, ratification, there's a symbol like a ring, uh, there's a meal, like we would have a wedding reception, and there's ongoing memorials. And, um, and you see God working that out, coming into this covenant with, with, uh, with Abraham. And then the prophets later in the Old Testament decrying the, the insufficiency of that covenant because we keep blowing it. And then we have the new covenant in Jesus. But I think covenantal language, covenantal thinking is all a part of God's quest. Everything thing in life starts with him. And just like you're saying that, that quest for him to find us and us to find him. And, and eventually we meet in Jesus, but um, the story that leads up to Jesus and gives it some level of understanding is a story that begins in Genesis. Uh, part of what I think we've already gotten into are describing some of these themes that make up Genesis. Um, some of the words I hear using covenant, fall, uh, creation. What are in your mind that the key themes that if somebody's reading through Genesis, preaching through Genesis, those core ideas that they need to be thinking about that are developing in that book? Yeah. Genesis one, you know, we argue a lot about Genesis one, <laughs> even within the Christian faith is Genesis one poetry and it, it does have a poetic structure, ABC, ABC, where the first day corresponds to the fourth day and the second day corresponds to the fifth day and the third day cons- corresponds to the sixth day. But ingeniously enough, if you're, if you're on the surface of the earth watching the six days of creation cause flourishing on this otherwise dark, water-covered, formless planet, um, you, 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 you do see the days one through six make perfect sense scientifically if we start with an opaque atmosphere where no light's coming through and then it becomes translucent and then transparent and um 
and and life forms on the on the surface of the earth by God's design. So is a poetry is a history. Um, I think I think it's both actually, but we will always debate that. But I think no matter what conclusion you come to, it doesn't matter because what Genesis one gives us is the highest view of God and the highest view of hum, human beings you'll find anywhere in any religious literature. And it was very different than the view of the gods that Israel would have been exposed to with the pagan creation myths surrounding them, where the gods were narcissistic and lazy and self-absorbed, and they created human beings basically to be slave labor, you know, to help them out. Those are very low view of gods and very low view of human beings. Here we have this magnificent creator God who creates human beings in his own image to have covenant with them, to have relationship with them. And um, that that's the foundational theme of Scripture, our, how we understand God and how we understand human beings. Then we get to chapter 3, right? And how, how do you feel when you read chapter 3? I mean, chapter 3 is always a really tough one, but that's the other pivotal, I think, theme yeah. that governs the rest of the Bible. Yeah, certainly. I mean, as I was thinking about Genesis both within the story of Scripture, but Genesis itself, it is to me a book about creation and fall. Uh, it, and I think what you see is, well, I, I'm often struck at how how I said before I return to these Old Testament passages in Genesis, how often I return specifically to man's first sin, to Adam yeah. and Eve's first sin, and how much is within that questioning of God, did God really say? And uh, the the object becoming, the created object become, becoming desirable to make one like God. And then yeah. the uh, as soon as they commit the sin, you know, I, I always come back to the line, God shows up and Adam says, the woman you gave me made me do it. And then Eve says, the serpent made me di- do it. And just like that, yeah. man is in conflict with one another, with exactly. creation and with God, that the, all of it's, those components. the of, whole thing. Yeah, yeah, it's all right there in such a powerful way. But then I think what Genesis also does is it unpacks that fall in all of its other forms. So as you walk through um, all of the brokenness of Cain and Abel and Noah and on into the struggles in Abraham's own life and the need for um, Isaac and the test of Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, and all of this is about the complexity of human relationships, of humans' relationships with creation, our broken relationship with God and the way we fail— that you you get to the end of Genesis and you you can't help but say we are in a predicament yes. that we will not be able to solve on our own. You know, no amount of power, no amount of family, no amount of wealth, no amount of searching. There, we whatever we touch, whatever we reach for, we end up making worse. Where we really are fallen in a, in a state of of need for salvation. Yeah. The only hope at the end of Genesis, of course, you have the twelve tribes of Israel. Then by the end of Genesis, but at least the heads, uh, mm-hmm. Jacob's 12 sons, they're blessed in chapter 49. And um, Well, you see a couple of seeds. Let's start with 49 and go back to chapter 3. Uh, in Genesis 49, God blesses Judah. And, of course, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, right, and the Messiah and uh, through the line of David. And, and um, it's an amazingly precise blessing how he will carry the rod of authority. He'll be the lion of Judah. He'll be the, he'll be the one who rule the nations. So, so you, you get this hint that God has a plan, whereas otherwise it's kind of like you get to the end of Genesis and where, like you said, where on earth do we go from here? But God's already 
plotting a strategy here. If you go back to chapter three, you even see it. Uh, I think you can push some things too far, but but you see the the seed of the woman will tread on the head of the serpent, and um, that's what Jesus did in the cross. And you, you see you see the seeds already, right in the midst of the first narrative of our failure in Genesis three, and then after all the kinds of failures you were just referring to, murder in chapter four, and 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 such incredible anarchy and violence in the earth that the flood needs to come in judgment of it. Like it's nothing God can work with anymore. I mean, it's just, I, I just the fallenness of humanity. Um, yet in the midst of that whole narrative, it's, it's amazing that, that the seeds of who Jesus would become are right there. Yeah. There's lots of those. You do think about the, the rainbow as a covenant with Noah. You think about the intervention of the ram and the thicket that spares right. Isaac. You That's think another about, good one. Yeah. yeah. I love one of my favorite stories from uh, Genesis is the story of uh, Jacob and Rachel that, that appears at first glance to be this great romantic story, right? So he's forced to work seven years to marry Rachel and there's that romantic line, but they, they seem to him, but a few days because his love was so great for her. Oh, right. Yes. And then of course the story goes that uh, Rachel's father switches Leah, the, the, yeah. the older daughter, uh, he has to work seven more years, but the really the the fallen part of that story is that it's not as romantic. You know, Leah's stuck in this marriage where she's not loved by Jacob, and she begins giving birth to these sons that become right. the heads of Israel's tribes. And with each birth, she says, you know, Reuben is born, and she says, now my husband will love me because I've provided a son. Yeah, she does this three right. times, and then Judah yeah. is born. So yeah, it captures that fallen, broken. Oh, broken where do we turn yeah. for purpose and meaning and exactly. love and. Yeah. But she uh, she gives birth to Judah, and it's very subtle. But it says she she says after giving birth to Judah, um, now I will worship the Lord. It's as if all her attention turns away from just the need for love, the broken yeah. relationships. And with Judah, there's something about the birth of that son that turns her attention to, even in the midst of my brokenness, God has has seen me. God is right. doing something here. Yeah. So there are these little hints of that even throughout yeah. the brokenness of Genesis. Yeah, that, you know, I had never caught that, but you're right, and. And out of Judah would come the Savior. So that's 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 pretty amazing how that works. You know, God works with all of us, doesn't he? I mean, sometimes I say to the congregation I pastor, look, we're all a mess here. You know, inside we're all a mess and God's reconstructing us, redeeming us. He's patient with us. It's not a license to say, Well, I'm a mess, so I can do what I want, I can sin, I can um I, I can just mess my life up more, but but there is there is something about always that hope for transformation in our lives that just keeps bubbling up in Genesis. Yeah, that's you there. See, you see the same thing with Joseph, right? Because mm. it's amazing how like the whole last what third or more of Genesis is the story of Joseph, uh, Israel. Uh, it's how Israel gets into Egypt in the first place, and but how, how this poor guy, you know, he just he just ends up. You know, being sold by his brothers, yeah. enslaved, and and but God's favor is always on him, and then he rises up, and then he gets thrown back into prison. What for another eleven years and uh, or more, and then uh, and then he rises up again and puts his brothers through it when he sees them a number of years later. But uh, it, it it's a it's a it's a kind of a heartwarming story, but it's boy, poor Joseph just gets knocked around and uh, with with ups and downs, slavery, freedom, imprisonment, freedom. Uh, it just, it, it just uh, becomes a kind of a paradigm for uh, 
the reality of our lives too. There's a lot to get out of Joseph's life. Do you have a, a favorite section or a favorite passage from Genesis that uh, when you think about Genesis is a hard one because there's so many profound ones, but when you think about the book or you think about it, could be central to the book or could just be personally meaningful to you? Yeah, Genesis 1. I think I'm biased there <laughs> because of uh, having studied the sciences for so long and because, uh, you know, if, if any chapters taken as in secular thought by that chapter is the reason I can't believe the Bible. Um, uh, that one always fascinates me for for that reason. And, and again, it comes back to the high view of God and the high view of human beings. I, I just feel like everything's set right. And even the first three words of the Bible, 100 years ago, uh, most scientists believe in the steady state nature of the universe, including Einstein. And he was shocked when his theory of relativity had a singularity and it demanded a starting point to the universe. And he was so concerned about the theological implications of that that he he just flat out changed the equation, which is not very scientific to do, to make an equation uh, fit your worldview. And he later called it the greatest blunder of his life. But now virtually every scientist believes the first three words of the Bible in the beginning. They may not believe the fourth word, God, but in the beginning. So... All of that absolutely f- fascinates me. Yeah. Yeah. You and I are good counterpoints for each other on this question because I uh, I'm certainly not a scientist, so yeah. I yeah, I don't I don't don't have the uh, scientific background. But I've always been struck by the we give so much attention to the first sin, Adam and Eve, but the first place sin is mentioned. Obviously, they have the first to sin, but the first place it's mentioned is actually by God in the story of Cain and Abel. Yeah, that um, it's so interesting. The Cain and Abel story is fascinating because they're the they're they're not the first created. They're the first born. They're the, the first born into humanity of Adam and Eve. And both of them have some compulsion to worship, which is interesting right. too. Yeah. Even in mm-hmm. this fallen world, both of them make offerings yeah. to God. There's an awareness to God. But of course, Cain's sacrifice is rejected. Abel's is not. And the scripture is not entirely clear why. Um, as if you've ever preached from it, you know, we can. I know. We, we know his motives seem to be impure in some way, but you can't right. say exactly yeah, what it was. You get about a few his hints sacrifice. in the New Testament about it, but it's hard to tell for sure. Yeah. What's always struck me, though, is God comes down and initiates a conversation with Cain, the one whose sacrifice uh, he yes. rejected. And it's in that context that he says, you know, Cain, do you not realize that sin is crouching at your door like a wild animal? Yeah. And that its desire is to rule over you if you don't master it. Uh, so much of Genesis and the storyline of the Bible seems to be in that conversation. a An attempt of worship towards God, but something distorted mm-hmm. or broken. A yeah. God who comes down and initiates the opportunity for us to learn and a warning about what is now in the human heart. Right. And then, of course, how does Cain respond to it? He doesn't. He murders his brother, and God comes a second time, and he says, am I my brother's keeper? And this whole thing sort of disintegrates around him. He ends up in the land of Nod, which is the Hebrew, the place of wandering, right? It's yeah, like he's right. yeah, he's pushed out of this direction or purpose. And um, that idea that sin is no longer just a temptation from the tree, but now sin is like an animal, a wild beast inside of me is God's yes. word, yeah. that that will become one of the challenges of Scripture is not just how do we put back together the created world, but how do we fix this thing, this animal <laughs> that is now inside of the human heart and yeah. prone to turn us away from God. Yeah, that's so insightful. Boy, that's really helpful for us pastorally as we as we lead people. Paul goes all kinds of directions with that in the book of Romans. And he starts by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is not the proposition 
of God, but it's the power of God for Jew and Gentile. So it's powerful, the gospel is powerful, and it's inclusive. And he builds a whole first half of Romans around those two things. And whenever I read uh, Romans chapter one, I do go back to, yeah, mm-hmm. sin is crouching at the door. It's more it's more than just a bad choice or a mistake we make, which sometimes people reduce it to. But evil's real. It always distresses me in the media. I hear people say, well, you know, it's just psychological problems and things like that. It's like, we do we really believe evil is real anymore? Mm-hmm. And, um, and Genesis sets that pretty clear. It's, it's, it's crouching there. Yeah, and it locates it in you. our own hearts, right? right? In your so own it's heart. not, yeah. yeah, it's, it's very easy for us to look at what's broken in the world, which Genesis paints a powerful picture of and say, right. we just need to fix yeah. the structures, the yeah. systems, the, the mechanisms, the means, but mm-hmm. Genesis won't let you do it. It really forces you to recognize it. It's in me, right? And it sets up all the great prophetic exactly. traditions yeah. of his desires to write his law on your heart, right? To give right. you hearts of flesh, not hearts of stone. Or, exactly. Uh, that really, whatever God's going to do, however he's going to redeem, it's going to have to fix what's in us, not just what's external yeah. to We've us. We've talked a lot in this podcast about staying very gospel-centered. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't deviate from that. That, that. that is what Jesus came to address and to do. What, what do you think about the Tower of Babel story? Because things start to culminate there. It's almost like the character of the book of Genesis changes after that, where they build this ziggurat or whatever, and they viewed that the steps were not so much us going up to God, but the gods would descend down to us. And uh, this idea of making, becoming a city for the divine and, and all of this, it's, it's very fascinating. Yeah, I mean, there seems to be something going on about our ability to construct favor from the gods, our ability. I mean, this is going to fragment into even the way they're worshiping, right? That we can sacrifice as a means of controlling the gods, or we can get what we need from the gods because through our knowledge of, you know, those sacrifices or those gods, how they can be exploited or secret words or rituals that we can sort of access what they have. I mean, that's going to continue in smaller forms all throughout the Bible and today as well. Uh, But there it seems to be sort of charged together, like all of the resources of humanity have been poured into this one project towards self, right? So you get kind of, I I do think you get in Cain, you get that kind of like in the individual, but then you do get it in the Tower of Babel collectively as well too, that they're kind of the same drives, um, but being expressed individually, but also collectively. And so out of that, God. God sovereignly calls Abraham and tries to build another collective for yep. for his presence and glory to reside. Yeah, and of course, I mean, I can't help but read Acts 2 yes. as a as a reversal of the, yeah. the separating Babylon of individuals. Reverse. Yeah, by different tongues that God, yeah. by his power, brings us together yeah. into this new body as well. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's very powerful. Do you, have you preached through Genesis? I have. We so when we started a Bento Church several years ago, one of my I, I haven't done it ever, just straight through, but I've preached from Genesis all the way through. We just finished Second Kings last year in order, so Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy on. Um, usually, I'll do a book of the Old Testament, then jump into a yeah, New Testament New book. Testament. But yeah, this was one of my questions for you too, just for listeners. Any thoughts or advice about reading Genesis or preaching through Genesis? Maybe how you've done that or how it could be done. Yeah, I mean, it. you know, it's in the vicinity of 50-plus chapters, so it's—I uh, I generally try to keep my series down to 
I don't think I'm a good enough communicator to keep people's attention for two years in one day. Yeah, like, hey, I've never done like two some years. pastors yeah. I know, and like you could do. But uh, I, I, I generally keep series to ten to twelve weeks, eight to twelve weeks. But um, so I've never tried to tackle Genesis on a Sunday morning. But I've, I, I've, I've walked through Genesis in some of the video devotional stuff I do and um, Bible studies. Uh, in other settings, uh, maybe Wednesday night settings or something like that. I still don't think I've ever started chapter one right through the last chapter of Genesis, but um, there, there, you know, boy, chapters one through 11 kind of are this unit. And then you've got this middle unit are all around Abraham. And then you've got this final large unit all around Egypt and Joseph and how, Jacob's 12 sons from whom come the tribes end up in Egypt. So, you know, because it's so modular, I tend to take it in pieces rather than try to... Yeah, you could do creation, fall, kind of covenant, then Abraham, then, you know, the patriarchs, you know, kind of... And then into, you know, Joseph and Israel, or in Egypt, yeah. Yeah, it breaks down really well that way, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I do think covenant is the governing theme through everything here. Uh, relationship with God gets broken. And um, covenant's relational, and it has terms. And uh, what we see God doing with Abraham is what we call a monergistic covenant, mono, one energy, one energy. In other words, it's God's initiative. It's kind of like creation. God initiates this relationship this covenant with Abraham. Abraham falls asleep, you know, and God passes through the pieces, which were part of the ancient covenant ceremony. And, and God just initiates covenant with us. And he's searching out our hearts. Our, our hearts are so fallen and broken. And uh, he's, he's still could have easily given up in humanity a long time ago, but he's still reaching out to us. It's amazing love of God. And, I think if you're going to teach through Genesis, just uh, the story of covenant um, probably ties all the pieces together. Yeah, I think that's a great way. Well, maybe we could, uh, we're going to get into plenty more covenant in the next books as we discuss them, but maybe as a way of wrapping up in prayer today, um, that sense of God awareness uh, is something I think we still need. It's easy today for us to slip in, even as pastors do just the work in front of me, just the, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the frustrations or the complexities of our time. But to remember, this is a world created by God. It is a world in which God has entered to redeem his people, in which he is still making covenant with people, in which amidst all of the fallenness and brokenness and complexity, there still are, as there was in Genesis, these signs of his presence uh, at work amongst us, and that we would be his people by being willing to see those and to to be a part of this new family, this new covenant that he's been creating through Christ. Yeah. And once again, it starts with God, just like Genesis 1-1 starts with him. You want to pray? Why don't you do? Why don't you pray? Yeah, I'll do that. Well, Heavenly Father, we uh, we know well the brokenness of Genesis. Um, we sense it in our own churches, in our own families, in our own lives. We know the temptation of Cain, God, um, the sin that is within us that pollutes even our own hearts, and we see it in yes. the collective sins of this world around us as well, too, as we did in Babel. And God, we recognize. Um, it's easy, as so many did then, to try to make it about ourselves, to try to find our own way to solutions. But God, um, this is your world, a world in which you created and spoke into existence, a world in which, as you created it, we walked in fellowship with you. And God, we recognize as well that um, it's your work to redeem this world. 
It's your work to come into this world and to save us, to rescue us, to do as you promised, to crush the serpent's head and to put in us a new heart, God, and to rid this world once and for all of its sin, its pollution of it. And God, we pray you would just give us a sense, a, a awareness of you, awareness that this is your story, yes, that this is your creation, that this is your world to redeem, and that it's by your faithfulness, it's by your having made that covenant, God, with us, that we are a part of what you're doing, a part of this story, a part of the salvation that you're bringing to this world. And so I just pray you would give us um, this book of beginnings, would just give us a sense of of what it is we're in on, God, um, that we are a part of something great that you're doing, that we are a part of a storyline that stretches back to those first words by which creation was spoken to existence, and that we, by your calling, are participants in how you're redeeming and restoring this world, God. Give us a sense of that grandeur of the lives that we live and the calling that we bear upon us, uh, that we are your people by your act and by your covenant, God, that this world by, might be redeemed and restored for your glory. And uh, For those who would take up the work of preaching, God, and speaking, teaching, maybe even in Bible studies or small groups through Genesis, that you would just give us clarity about those themes, about covenant, yes. about fallenness, about creation, and uh, that God is there is that that ending note of hope of of a sense of an anticipation that Genesis concludes with that God we would carry that with us as well too seeing it fulfilled in Christ and knowing that as Christ comes again these things are still yet to be fulfilled in even greater ways that yes. in the end our hope and our faith is in you it's in your yes. name we pray amen amen, amen. You've been listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast. We would uh, really appreciate it if you would take the time to leave us some feedback on the show. You can do that by leaving a rating or by typing out a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, we hope you might consider subscribing to the show. We're looking forward to a lot of the conversations to come in the weeks ahead, and it would mean a lot to us if you'd be a part of those. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to ask Pastor Jim to hear him cover, we'd appreciate it if you'd take the time to send those in. You can do that by email by going to questions at jimbradford.org. We'd love to be able to take a look at those and get them featured on the podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.